My name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Uh, I think God just deposited something really profound in our church this morning. Um, did you feel that? <laughs> Thanks, Trey. Uh, <clears throat> I think that there are moments when we're presented with choices. And those choices oftentimes have invitations attached to them where God through his spirit will be inviting us. He'll be inviting us, uh, frankly, into more intimacy with him, closeness with him. And sometimes, dare I say oftentimes, it requires us setting aside what we're comfortable with, what is normative for us, or what our plans are. And so I just want to, uh, I guess maybe warn is the right word, uh, that I really believe, and I've felt this in my bones for the last probably six to eight months, and then specifically really heightened the last two months. Uh, I really believe God's taking us somewhere. And it's going to look like away from the familiar. It's going to look like away from the kind of tidy fits into my schedule, fits into my plans thing. Um, and that's so, uh, that's a great description I feel like in my experience of Western Christianity. It fits really nicely into my life. And I'm just convinced that God's like, that's fine, but there's more of me if you want me. And I want him. He's the point. I want him. He's the reward. He's the point of all of this. He's the reason we gather. He's the reason we sing. He's the reason we, we send our kids. It's not just just give you parents a break, although that's part of it. It's, it's to cultivate environments where we can encounter him. That's the point. That's like literally the point of our life, okay? And so I have some stuff prepared. Let me start my, my timer. I have some stuff prepared. I don't know if I'm gonna get to any of it. I feel like... I just really want to, uh, I want to get out of the way as much as possible this morning. Everything inside of me want to just go, hey, let's just, ro let's just roll it. <laughs> There's people that God is touching, and I don't want to get in the way of that. However, I do think that there's some things um, that we need to talk about this morning. So, for those of you that have been journey journeying with us, you know that we kind of press pause on the series that we've been in for the last several months, going through Matthew's gospel. We've been looking at the kingdom of God. We've been looking at through the ends of like, who's the king? It's Jesus, the king and his kingdom. We press pause on that. And we've been, we've been exploring this idea of priesthood. It's like this is where God's taking us. It has everything to do with our priesthood. And, and the subtitle of this, of this series, if you will, is Restoring Our Priestly Identity. 
So it's this, it's this, not this idea, but it's this reality, it's this truth that if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian in the room, if you're a disciple or follower of Jesus, part of who you are, not just what you do, literally part of who you are is a priest. And not just a priest in isolation, but a priest that is part of a collective, part of a worshiping family, that's what the church is. And what priests have done throughout time is they've been people who have oriented their lives around blessing God. People who have oriented their whole life every day around prioritizing blessing him, ministering to him, worshiping him, praising him, not simply out of duty, but out of delight in response to something. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the conversations that we've been having is around this idea of priesthood. And like I said, I, I really believe this is a turning point in the life of our church. And it's not so much that like the things that we do are gonna change a whole lot. It's way more a mindset shift. It's way more of like a, as, as I engage in these rhythms that most of which already exist, although I'll be talking, I'll be introducing a, a couple different things that I'm excited to invite you into. Um, so be, you know, on the lookout for that. But it's not so much that we're going to like change the things that we do as much as we're gonna, we're gonna give some attention to our mindset when, when, when we engage in those things. And it's all, it's all oriented around this, this, this truth that part of who we are is priests. We are a priesthood. Not because we come up with the idea ourselves or because it's like a clever thing or because it's like the next hip movement in the church. No. I'm gonna talk about this in a little bit, but it's, this is something that, this has been God's agenda from the beginning. And I believe in his kindness and in his grace and his mercy. He's pointing to us and saying, come with me. I have some things for you because he loves us, because he cares for us. Um, if you've missed any of the messages in this series, please go back and listen to them. They're really important. Like I said, this is a big deal for the life of our church. Now, um, yeah, let's, let's go to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, we've been camping out there for the last few weeks. I want to go back there this morning. As you're flipping to 1 Peter 2, if you don't have your Bible, um, they'll put the words on the screen for you. Thanks, Marshall. How many of you in the room are familiar with what's been happening at Asbury College? Raise your hands high so I can see. Okay, cool. Um, no judgment at all. If, you, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, raise your hand just so I can get a pulse for a handful of us. Okay, cool. Thank you. No judgment at all. Um, so on February 8th, um, Asbury College is this really small Christian college in Wilmore, Kentucky. Anybody want to guess what the population of Wilmore, Kentucky is? 6,000. Who said 6,000? Scotty Deal knew. He knew, of course he did. 6,000 people, okay? So you have a, a university in this t small, small, small town. 6,000 people, Okay. And on, like I said, on February 8th, they have, as most Christian colleges do, they have a regular chapel service. And so part of, uh, this is fairly common in Christian universities where one of the expectations on the students is that they would regularly attend chapel service, right? And so their chapel service on February 8th um, was very normal. There wasn't like some celebrity preacher there wasn't some celebrity worship leader in town. 
In fact, I read an article where the, um, <clears throat> the, the young man who was sharing a message that morning, he literally, he, he shares his message. He walks off stage. He texts his wife. And this is what he says. Latest stinker, dot, 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 I'll be home soon. So he walks off after sharing his message, thinking I totally whiffed. I'm letting my wife know I'll be home soon. Common thing for uh, preaching is there's going to be some insecurity with preaching. And so after the message, they had a time of praise and worship, which is, you know, common, right? And it didn't stop. Like, minutes led to hours, hours led to days, days led to weeks. I mean, the, the, the college, they canceled classes, right? Word gets out, all, people from all over the world descend on, on what is it? It's a, I always forget the name of the, Wilmore. <laughs> they descend on Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury College. So the next thing you know, there are thousands and thousands of people flocking to Asbury College because there's the manifest presence of God. I mean, the testimonies, guys, people giving their lives to Jesus. I mean, public confessions of faith. Like one guy gets up and goes, I want, to, I want to confess the sin of adultery. And then everybody gathered around them to, to, gathered around them to, to, to encourage them with the truth that the blood of Jesus can forgive anything. And you just see all these things happen. Miracles, signs, wonders, healings, deliverance. People that are literally being oppressed and dare I say possessed, demonically being delivered in these environments. And so the word gets out. People are like, hearing about what's happening. And I don't know about you, but I, I was like, I was talking with uh, Jason and a couple different people in the church. I was like, I was talking to him, I'm like, is there any way that I, I, I gotta go? I, I don't care how much the plane ticket is. Like, hear me, if the manifest presence of God, if you know it's somewhere on the earth, and don't hear what I'm not saying, like God's presence is everywhere. He's, presence with his, with his, he's present inside of you if you're in Christ. But the manifest presence of God like this morning, what we just experienced, that was, that was, a t it was unbelievably beautiful and refreshing for our souls. That's a drop in the bucket. I'm like, what I wouldn't give. I'll, I'll empty my bank account to get to Wilmore, Kentucky. And so that's kind of what happened. And I have some, uh, some people that I know and respect that actually went and if you Google this, you'll see some people criticizing it. Honestly, it's ridiculous. Here's why. Because all these, one of my mentors was there. And he goes, um, you know, I wasn't sure, is this going to be just kind of a long prayer meeting? Cool, they're worshiping, you know, 24-7, whatever. That's cool. He goes there. He says he sat down and for what he thought was 30 minutes was six hours where he just wept uncontrollably in the presence of God. And what's remarkable about it is that there's zero hype. What's even more remarkable about it is that it's Gen Z. Youth in the room, can I, give me your eyes. 
Love you guys. These are like your peers. Sixteen days straight of prayer and worship. And check it out. Like, this is Gen Z. The media starts to hear about it, right? Like big news organizations. And they're like, hey, can we, can we reach out for comment? Can we, can we come down and interview people? And they're like, please don't come. We're not looking for publicity. We're not looking for attention. If anything, that would just be a huge distraction to the beautiful thing that God's doing with us right now. And my mentor, he goes, he goes, God was, God's doing something remarkable with Gen Z. And it's all about encounter. And here's what's crazy about this. These Gen Z college students, look at the dates. This is basically, it's run on, it started the February 8th, it's gone to February 23rd, where they, they culminated at February 23rd, the National Collegiate Day of Prayer. And since then, it's sort of been like disseminated as revival often does, as awakening often does, as outpourings often do. It spreads. So it's, God's heart is never to confine this thing. No, 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 no. He lights a fire and then he sends embers and sparks out to the nations. Look at the day of Pentecost, right? That's God's heart. And so you have these Gen Z college students who have been through so much. The generation has faced so much. God's doing this really beautiful work in them. But you know, one of the things that struck me was, if you look at the dates, like they gave up the Super Bowl and Valentine's Day. How many college kids enjoy sports entertainment and romance? But their hunger their devotion was elsewhere. Like, can we just consider this for a second? <laughs> Preach. Consider this. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for 16 straight days, Gen Z gathers in this, in this, this chapel space and they just pour out their devotion to God. Why? That's what I want to talk about. First Peter chapter two, verse one. Let me pray before I read God's word. Father, thank you for your presence. Let us never become people for whom your presence becomes stale. Nothing else matters. Literally nothing else matters. Help and change us, I pray. Amen. All right, for the sake of time, I'm actually going to pick up um, in verse 9. <clears throat> I would normally read this whole passage, but we've been in this for four weeks. Sorry if you're new. There's some stuff here, but I want to save time. Verse 9, speaking to the church, Christians, disciples, but you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Underline that one. That's what we're going to focus today. A people for his possession. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, I want to talk about this idea of being God's possession, his own possession. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you need to know this. This is not new. This this has been God's agenda from the very beginning, okay? I want to show you this. You guys know the story of the Israelites, right? God, he redeemed them out of slavery where? In Egypt, right? So they're in slavery. They're in bondage, all right? There's people in this room. You're still living in bondage, but they're in bondage in Egypt. And God raises up who to deliver them out? Moses, yep, absolutely. So he raises up Moses to deliver the people of God out of slavery in Egypt. And right before he gives them the 10 commandments, right? This is like, like Sunday school stuff, you know this. He gives them the 10 commandments. In Israel, they're all gathered. Israel's the people of God. They're gathered around Mount Sinai. And this is what he says in Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse three. Moses went up the mountain to God Mount Sinai, right? And the Lord called him, called to him from the mountain. And this is what God says to Moses. He says this, this is what you must say to the house of Jacob. That's the Israelites, right? The people of God. Explain to the Israelites, verse four. This is the words of God. He wants Moses to say this to the people of God. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to who? Underline that one. And brought you to myself, verse five. Now you will care for, now if, (laughs) this is huge. If's a really important word. Now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. Does that sound anything like 1 Peter chapter two? So years and years and years and generations before Jesus, the heart of God was a people that were God's possession, a priesthood. So I want you to know that this isn't new. This is God's agenda from the beginning. Okay, And it's not just like a past agenda with the Israelites and Moses. It's not just a present agenda, right? New covenant people. We just read it, 1 Peter 2, God's desire is this. This This is who we are in Christ. So if you're in Christ, it's part of your identity. It's part of who you are. So it's not just God's agenda past. It's not just God's agenda present. Hear me. It's God's agenda future. Listen. Um, in Revelation chapter 20, it describes the new heavens and the new earth, right? The kingdom of heaven invading the earth, renewing all things. You're not gonna go up and live on the clouds with a harp and wings and turn into a baby. That's not happening. Heaven is coming. Revelation, Revelation chapter 20 describes the new heavens and the new earth, and it says that the church will be priests of God and Christ, and they will reign with him. A whole, that's like another series we can get into, and we will. This is not just a p- 
past agenda. This is not just a present agenda. This is a future agenda for the people of God for eternity, okay? It's a really, really big deal. Now, we've talked about this idea that a priest is part of your identity. Hear me, there are aspects of your identity, like who you are, that are temporary. That means they're gonna shift and they're gonna change over time. Hear me, your priestly identity will go on for eternity. Do you know what that means? That means it's one of the most important things about you. Dare I say it's more important than some of the things that we place our identity in right now. This is vital, guys. And I'm convinced if we miss this, we're missing an invitation from our Heavenly Father into things that are more beautiful than you can ever imagine. It was God's agenda from the beginning to have a priesthood for his possession. Okay. For the rest of my time, I just want to touch on what does it mean to be a possession? And more specifically, what does it mean to be God's possession? Okay? Um, A possession, what is that? Think about it. If you had to define it, right? If you had to write a book report on what does it mean to be a possession? A possession is this. A possession is the state of having, owning, or controlling something. Having, owning, or controlling something. How many of you have ever been in an unhealthy relationship? Someone who's like possessive. Or maybe an unhealthy friendship. That like possessive, they're like controlling. Something is in your possession when it belongs to you. Okay? In other words, a possession is something that's under your control. Um, all of you, I would, I'd be willing to bet that the vast majority of you, maybe not all of you, there's something in your pocket or your purse that's a great example of this, your cell phone, okay? You, you possess that cell phone. It's, it's under your control, right? It, it does what you tell it to when you tell it to do it. Unless, of course, you update your software and Apple tweaks all your stuff and makes your battery die and all the things. But you know what I'm talking about. It's this idea of like, you possess this thing. It does what you tell it to do when you tell it to do it. Get this. I read a stat recently that blew me away. Research shows that the average person touches their cell phone, guess how many times per day? 2,600 times a day. The average person. That might sound astronomical. I was like, that's not true. That can't be true. According to people who study this for a living, it's true. So the average person touches their cell phone 2,600 times per day. That means that the average person, their cell phone is doing what they tell them to 2,600 times per day. It's your possession. A possession is something that executes the will of the one who possesses it. It's something under your control. My spirit trembles right now because I'm gonna ask you a question and it's intense. 
what's controlling you? If you're the cell phone, whose hands are you in? Are your emotions controlling you? Your feelings? I feel this, therefore it's true. What's controlling you? Is it your emotions? Is it, is it the desires of the flesh? Not all of them are scandalous. How about this one? Is it other people? What they think about you? Controlling you? What about fear? What about worry? Insecurity? Or how about this one? Do you even know? Do you even know what's controlling you? Possessions always execute the will of the one who possesses them. A possession belongs to its master. And hear me. One of the greatest lies that we could ever believe is that we don't have a master. Or you can opt out of this. <laughs> Every single one of us in the room, you have a master. And you're doing your master's bidding. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to talk, talk about the demonic for a second, okay? So just kind of buckle up. <laughs> I won't spend too much time here, but I think it's worth noting. Because if you read the New Testament, if you read the life and the ministry of Jesus... Especially in like Matthew and Mark, it's like demon-possessed, 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 demon-possessed. So the Bible speaks of this, this idea of, of being possessed by the demonic. And I want to I wanna be honest with you. Like, I've seen this firsthand. I've seen people delivered from demonic possession and oppression. I've seen it. But I've also been in environments, and I won't get into this too much, where I've seen people cling on to it. I don't know what to do with that theologically, to be honest, but I've seen it. And I think we would all like, oh, we don't see that that often. We don't watch it. We don't like... And so let's just go with the concept that it's, it's, it's not common. Fine. Do you know what's more common that I see all the time? What's more common is what I'm just going to refer to as self-possession. Self-possession is when I'm my own master. In, in, in other words, like I possess myself. And hear me, friends, this is completely and utterly incompatible with Christianity. But sadly, it is, it's heartbreaking. It's so common in, in the American church. In the Western church, with self-possession, it's this idea of like my preference. My preference. My preference. So and with self-possession, my preference reigns over and above God's preference. Man looks at the external 
God looks at the, at the heart. My preference reigns over and above God's preference. Self-possession. Can I ask a question? Like, what about what God wants? What about what he desires? Uh, Honest question. No judgment. Let's just be honest. You don't have to shout it out, but just internally, okay? Honest question. From your perspective, what is the average Christian in America more concerned about? God's wants or their wants? Now, forget about the average Christian in America. What about the average Christian in this room? What about me? Guys, the reason I say this is really important, this is a turning point in the life of our church, guys, this is a huge part of what it means for us to restore our priestly identity. Like, who we are informs how we live. It's that mindset shift, right, to become way more concerned about what God wants. And not just when we're gathered together on a Sunday, like all day every day, both in isolation and in community, both with Christians and with non-Christians, like in the entirety of life, being people who are so much more concerned about, like, God, what do you desire? What do you want? Why? Because part of who I am, my identity, is I'm a priest. Someone whose life is oriented around blessing him, ministering to him, pleasing him, not out of duty, out of delight. Worship. Um, how much time do I have? Yeah, okay, really quickly, go to, go to Exodus chapter 19, verse Five. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. I'm going to read it quickly. We just read it. Now, if you, will carefully, if you will carefully listen to me, this is God speaking, and keep my covenant, you will be my own, what? Possession. Okay. If you have time, I would say this. Make time to dig into the original languages that were translated into English into your Bible. The, the beauty to be mined there, the gold to be mined is like, oh my God, is ointment for your soul. Okay, here's one of them. That word possession, it's the Hebrew word skula. And it kind of means possession. It's part of it. But do you know what it really means? It means treasured Possession. Think about that. Think about the invitation. It means treasured possession. It means to be like highly valuable, right? And it's attached. It's attached to to desire and to care and to love. Like it's way more than just, oh, this thing belongs to me. Treasured possession. Talk about people who are way more concerned with what God wants, right? Priests. Do you know what God wants? Do you know what he wants? He wants you. 
He wants you. And more than just him wanting you, he wants you to want him. That's what he wants. That's his agenda, not just past and present, but forever. Priests are treasured possessions dedicated to worshiping God. Yeah, write that one down. Priests are treasured possessions dedicated to worshiping God. But why? First Peter 2 talks about for those who live as priests that a transfer has taken place. Did you catch it? What was the transfer? Talk to me. Yes, absolutely. Transferred from darkness to light. But hear me. (laughs) It's not just a transfer. It's a purchase. It's a purchase. Check out what what, uh, what Peter writes just a few verses earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 18. For we know that you were redeemed, the ESV says ransomed, from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Okay, I want to read it to you in the NLT too. I think I gave you this, guys, too. This is how the NLT translates it. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. It's not just a transfer. A purchase is taking place. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. How many of us operate like money will never lose its value? Verse 19. Not gold or silver to make the purchase. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Here's what he's saying God, in Christ, purchased his possessions with his very own blood. Herrick talked about this last week, about how in Hebrew culture, blood symbolized life. That's hard for us, because in our culture, what does blood symbolize? Death. That's because we're disciples of Hollywood. Horror movies, all the things, right? The purchase made with blood, it's, it's the giving of life. What would you give your life for? Think about it. Is there anything that you would give your life for? I guarantee it'd be a treasure, right? Yeah. How about this? I mean, I know the parents in your room are like, kid, done. Absolutely. How about this one? What would you give your life to acquire possession of? Hear me. Guys, the gospel says that God treasures you. This isn't a game, man. I'm not a motivational speaker. 
If I was, this room would be empty. (laughs) The gospel says that God treasures you so much that he would purchase you out of darkness, slavery, just like the Egyptians, just like the Israelites with the Egyptians, purchase you out of darkness with his very own blood. And it's been his agenda from the beginning. So is God insecure then? Is he like, I'm gonna purchase these priests so that they'll worship me like because I'm insecure. I need someone to come worship me so I'm gonna, at great cost to myself, do that. Like, is it because he's insecure? No. Hear me. It's the most kind thing he could possibly do. It is the most kind thing he could possibly do. Why? Because you're gonna worship something. Any human beings in the room? Yeah, me too, right? Human beings were created, designed to worship. God knows you. He created you. He knows you're going to worship something, okay? Hear me. You're going to be a priest to something. Do you realize you're living as a priest right now? You've lived as a priest every day of your life. You've never not been one. You're gonna worship something. But hear me, whatever you worship, you're gonna give incredible influence over your life and you'll end up becoming like the thing that you worship. Every time. Is God insecure? No. He's kind. And he's gracious. Did I give you, uh, did I give you 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. The purchase of you into his possessed priesthood, the truth is it's way more for us than it is for him. You're gonna be a priest to something and you're gonna give that something massive influence over your life, either for better or for worse, and you're gonna become like the thing that you worship. It's his kindness. It's his grace. Okay. Um, Band, will you come back up? Thank you, Band, for serving us so well this morning. There's more, I think. (sighs) Okay, I want to finish where we started. All right? Why the Asbury outpouring? Why the Asbury revival? Why all these Gen Z college students, 16 days straight of prayer and worship? Why? Because God is love. Yeah, why though? Here's why. Because they had a powerful revelation of who they belonged to. 
They had a powerful revelation that they are a people for his possession. They had a powerful revelation that they were purchased by the blood of Jesus. That they were purchased out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what did that do? That produced life-altering devotion. Like, the kind of devotion that, like, interrupts your plans. The kind of devotion that, that reorients your priorities. The kind of devotion that changes your desires. You husbands in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. Love will get you to reorient your life. When you see her, and you're like, oh, I'm captivated by her beauty. I'm playing video games, you know, 20 hours a week. Being maybe not the most mature dude around, but then beauty, devotion, I'll reorient my entire life. You men know what I'm talking about. It was a revelation of the love of God. Friends, when you're caught up in love, time goes out the window. The kingdom of heaven has a very interesting relationship with time, now doesn't it? That's why six hours can feel like 30 minutes. That's why almost an hour of praise and worship this morning, maybe not for everybody in the room, but for a lot of us felt like 10 minutes. They responded to his love with love. Now hear me. There's not a person in this room who doesn't want to belong. You're craving to belong. Everybody, I wouldn't just say wants to belong. Everybody needs to belong. But hear me. You don't need to figure out how to become what would be pleasing to other people to belong. Youth, listen to me. Please, 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 please. You don't need to figure out how to be appealing to other people to belong. You need a fresh revelation of who you really are. Rather, you need a fresh revelation of whose you really are. And it's not just youth, it's every one of us. Don't feel like I was picking on you guys. I just want you to know. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You won't praise him if you haven't been called out of darkness. If you're in darkness, you won't praise him. But if you see that he's purchased you with his blood, like King, like King David, you will praise him in such a way that people think you look foolish. Because he's worth it. You'll live as a priest. You'll orient your entire life around pleasing him just because he's worthy. I want to caution you, guys, please don't believe the lie that you're not living as a priest already. You and I, every day of our lives, 
we live as a priest, right? Our life is oriented around worship. We're worshiping all day, every day. The question isn't, are you a priest? The question is, whose possession are you in? Jesus is the only master who treasures you. He treasures you. If you didn't hear anything I said this whole time, that's what you need to hear this morning. He treasures you. He treasures you in your darkest moments. He treasures you in the moments when you're afraid. He treasures you in the moments when your anxiety gets the best of you. You lash out at the people around you. He treasures you in your worst. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That purchase was made not because of your performance or your resume. That blood was shed because he treasures you. He's the only one who pays for his treasure with his own blood. Those Gen Z students at Asbury College, they saw it. They had a revelation of it. <laughs> and they shut down their lives. And they camped out in the chapel for two, over two weeks. That's what's happening in Asbury. And I'm begging God that it would happen with us. Will you stand with me if you're able? I want to pray for us. If you're on the prayer team, will you come forward? Just come up here next to me, just kind of around here. I want you guys to be able to see who's praying, and then that way we can do this. Um, <clears throat> little singing. I just want I want prayer ministry almost exclusively. Is that okay, guys? Just sing over us, but like. Um, and so here's what we're gonna do. I wanna pray this over all of us and then I wanna leave the remainder of the space that we have. We have about 15 minutes until we need to pick up our kids to where, let me pray first and then I'll give you some direction. prayer for my life. This is my prayer for my wife. This is my prayer for my children. This is my prayer for my brothers and sisters in this room. This is my prayer for all of us. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. Some of you need to be refreshed this morning and he, he desires to refresh you. Would you open your heart to him? He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Some of you are drifting down the wrong paths. And the Spirit's crawling out to you. He's going, danger, danger, danger. Even when I go through the, the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. It's all about your presence. It's all about your presence, good shepherd, chief shepherd, glorious shepherd Jesus. Guide your flock. Guide your sheep. The sheep that are drifting off, the sheep that are apathetic, the sheep that are, dare I say, possessed, would you repossess us all? I pray for a God possession. That's my prayer. A God possession at the hands of the chief shepherd to guide us where? To guide us to you, God. I'll fear no evil because you're with me. The goal is to be with you. The goal is to be close to you. The goal is intimacy, relationship, love with you. Would you do that work in us? We love you, Jesus. We open our hearts to you. Amen. So here's how we're going to close. <clears throat> Band's going to sing over us. Um, I think there are things in our lives that are blocking us. Some of us. Things in our lives that are blocking us from the revelation of God. Maybe it's pain that you're experiencing, physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe you're like, is this thing even real? I get the sense that for some of you it is um, two things. One, it's, it's connected to your health. There's doubt because of your health. And the other thing is, <clears throat> there's doubt because of your childhood. And I think those are the things that God wants to address this morning. Trusted men and women who would love to pray over you, minister to you, bless you, and hopefully, dare I say, remind you that you're his possession, bought with his precious blood to free you from darkness so that you can live in light. Okay? Um, soft close, 10 minutes. Just make sure by noon we go grab our kids. Then we guys sing over us for the next, I don't know, little while. Come forward for prayer. Um, soft close. You cool with that, JB, unless you got anything else? Okay. All right. Know that you're loved, guys. <laughs>